0: Related to all aspects of our divine faith, and you can review our schedule of upcoming events. We hope you can join us in person. The handout reference during this presentation is available for download on the audio section of our website.
1: Let's begin in prayer this, this afternoon. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Oh, no. Blessed are you, O Christ our God, who have filled the fishermen with wisdom
2: by sending down the Holy Spirit upon them, and who through them have caught in your net the whole world.
1: O lover of mankind, glory to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
2: Amen. All right, so our speaker this evening is the founder, president, and CEO of the Cardinal Newman Society, an organization dedicated to promoting and defending faithful Catholic education. In addition to speaking on EWTN, Fox News, and MSNBC, Patrick Riley has served as Editor and Research Fellow at Capital Research Center, Executive Director of the Citizens for Educational Freedom, Higher Education Analyst at the U.S. House of Representatives, Program Analyst at the U.S. Department of Education, and Chairman of American Collegians for Life. Mr. Riley develops and teaches courses on logic, rhetoric, and philosophy for the Aquinas Learning Homeschool Program founded by his wife, Rosario. He and Rosario are blessed with five children.
1: Welcome Patrick, good to have you with us today. This is just a, a great honor to be in this position of of speaking today and, and on one of my favorite topics, uh, uh, Saint John Henry Newman. Uh, I'm used to referring to him as Cardinal Newman, but I uh, have to, uh, to add the saint now as of last October. And so uh, just really delighted to be here and ICC is one of those organizations that just absolutely every single thing that you do is so important, has impact, makes a difference for the church, and, and I'm just glad that God and, and others continue to, to bless you. So, um, so thank you, thank you for having me here. I am not going to speak about Saint John Newman of Philadelphia. It's a very common mistake that a lot of Americans make uh, St. John Newman was one of the, the first uh, declared saints uh, in the United States. He was a Czech priest uh, who, there's an image of him, who came to the United States and was a bishop of Philadelphia. Um, St. John Newman is dear to my heart for his work in Catholic education. He was basically the founder of the parochial school system and established in just eight years as bishop, he established 200 schools in Philadelphia. So. Wonderful, wonderful saint, but I will not be saying anything more about him. Today I'm talking about St. John Henry Newman, who uh, uh, was a English convert, uh, lived about the same time as, as John Newman or, or Neumann, as I like to make the distinction of Philadelphia, uh, in the 1800s. His life spanned uh, the entire century. He was born in 1801 and died in 1890. So he was definitely a a 19th century man. I have a very personal interest in Newman, not only because he's the patron for the Cardinal Newman Society and our work in Catholic education, but uh, also because uh, just over the years, I've become very invested in, in his writings and his thoughts, not only on education, but on so many other topics, on conscience, on the development of doctrine. In so many ways, he was so important to the church. Uh, my entire family uh, was blessed to join uh, the Cardinal Newman Society pilgrimages to both the beatification in 2010, which uh, was in England with uh, Pope Benedict XVI, and then the canonization in uh, just last year in October uh, in Rome uh, with Pope Francis. And so uh, both of those events were obviously very meaningful and impactful for us as a family. I also had the the great opportunity in 2009, 2010, just before the beatification, to spend some time with the fathers, the oratory fathers in Birmingham, England, which is where Car- uh, Cardinal Newman, St. John Henry Newman, lived most of his life. His room is still there, fully intact. And the, the work that we were doing was related to his manuscripts. St. John Henry Newman uh, was a uh, voluminous writer, I and mean, he wrote a lot uh, of, of books, sermons, letters, um, and and even notes on the readings that he was doing. And John Henry Newman, you know, in those days, would handwrite everything, but he also would keep a handwritten copy, so a second copy of any letter that he ever sent or anything that he ever sent out. And so, all of those manuscripts are still uh, in Birmingham. And uh, they've recently been digitized. And so that is slowly being made available by the oratory in Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania, that sponsored the digitization. And then we were working on the uh, just the preservation of the actual documents. And so that was a great experience being there back in 2010. I have two of the books that I'll be using as the primary sources, in case you're interested in um, pursuing anything, you know, learning more about Newman and his, his view on education. The first is his idea of a university, which is his classic work on, uh, on the nature of the Catholic University. There's also a lesser known publication called University Sketches, which uh, has actually fills in a lot of his views uh, as he was developing uh, his Catholic University in Dublin. And then uh, the other book is called uh, A Catholic Eton, Newman's Oratory School. Uh, A lot of people aren't aware that Newman uh, actually spent most of his life in secondary education, not in higher education. He founded and led uh, the oratory school in Birmingham, and I'll be talking a little bit more about that as we go forward. Um, As far as the structure of what I want to talk about, um, I'm going to build this around the framework of integrity. The word integrity, uh, it was the framework I used for an article I wrote uh, in Catholic Thing last year about Newman. And I think it works well for this lecture. Um, Four parts. The first thing is who was Newman, uh, particularly his integrity as an educator. Um, The second part will be Newman's idea of knowledge uh, and the integrity of knowledge. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, The third part is his idea of education. That's the heart of what I'm trying to get to Um, and uh, both its essence and its integrity. And again, you'll understand why I'm talking about integrity as we go through that. Um, And then finally uh, the renewal of education. How does all of this apply to, to America in particular to Catholic education today and, and how is it being applied in Catholic education. So that's what I'm going to try to get through in the time that we have for this lecture. Um, so the first part, Newman's integrity as an educator. Um, I mentioned that Newman uh, lived in the 19th century. The 19th century in England was a tough, tough time to be a Catholic. And at the same time, there was a new springtime uh, for the church. This was about, you know, Newman lived about 300 years after Henry VIII. So uh, there was about 300 years of persecution of Catholics. Uh, early on, it was, you know, it was death um, and and torture and imprisonment and other problems. But even at Newman's time, that just a few years, I believe it was 1778. So just around the founding of the United States, the the English Parliament uh, allowed Catholics to own property. So up until that point, Catholics were not allowed legally to own property uh, or to pass it down by inheritance. So this was just starting to open up. Uh, When he was about 28 years old, the English Parliament allowed Catholics to vote. Okay, all of this happened, well, before his life or in his early years when he was still Anglican. But things were just starting to open up for Catholics, but uh, still Catholics were very much discriminated against and and not very much appreciated in Anglican England. One of the things that helped to provoke some of the openness was, uh, interestingly, the French Revolution. You know, that was in 1789. And uh, following the French Revolution, a lot of Catholics fled France, and many of them came to England. And so there was a real influx of Catholic immigrants, similar in a sense to, to the, you know, the, the growth of the Catholic Church in the United States from, from Catholic immigration. So this was all, all sort of the context in which uh, Newman was living. Now, at the same time, Newman was also living in, at least for all practical senses, an increasingly secular society. It was still officially Anglican. Most people would have been uh, Anglican, uh, you know, baptized Anglicans. But uh, it was a society that had just come through, right, the Enlightenment. And there was this uh, sense of being enamored by science, by technology. And there was the impact of the the British Enlightenment speakers, particularly uh, Francis Bacon, uh, who uh, you know was was again very enamored by science, and then John Locke. Uh, we tend to know John Locke as as the father of uh, political liberalism, but John Locke was also a steadfast advocate of empiricism, which was the idea that knowledge comes to us primarily through experience. And he he very much doubted religion. He doubted first principles. And this uh, helped to spur along a a general secularization within the culture. And Newman was very much and very painfully aware of this in his lifetime. In a uh, toward the end of his time in 1873, uh, Newman gave a, a very interesting uh, sermon to seminarians. He was at a seminary that was just opening. Again, this was part of, you know, until this time, Catholic seminaries weren't even allowed to exist in England. And here, toward the end of his years, uh, seminary was opening. It was a very, very happy occasion. And yet, um, at this time, Newman took the the opportunity to make it clear that he had very very great concerns about the direction of society in terms of its secularization. Um, He said in his sermon, Prior to earlier times, earlier challenges to the church, when uh, the church was challenged by schism and by heresy, um, these were occasions when there was, you know, basically it was, these were disagreements about God, about faith, about how we understand religion, right? How we understand God. But he said, compared to those times, quote, ours has a darkness different in kind from any that has been before it. And he called it an age of infidelity, a time when uh, it's not simply a challenge to the Catholic faith, but it's a challenge to religion at all, a challenge to belief in God at all. Uh, One of the things that he predicted is he said, as we enter into this age of infidelity, he said there will be a malicious curiosity toward Catholics as Catholics, uh, especially in England, begin this renaissance, this new springtime, this new seminary, that he said, if ever there was a time when one priest will be a spectacle to men and angels, meaning because of their sin, it is in the age now opening upon us. So very interesting, given what what uh, we've experienced here in the United States, he was specifically talking about the media and how there was just a general uh, I, curiosity, but not a kind curiosity, about this growing or resurgent Catholic faith in England. Um, at the end of, of his years, when he was named Cardinal, uh, the very next morning, he gave a speech, rather off the cuff, titled the Big Lieto Speech. And in this talk, he said that his life's work had been to fight liberalism in religion. And by that, he was referring to not political liberalism, but to relativism, to the idea that religion is private, to the idea that all faiths are equal and that religion is not about truth, religion is not about knowledge, but religion is simply a matter of opinion or, or, or pure belief. And so uh, this is, you know, uh, the framework of his life. He was a lifelong educator. Uh, Newman studied at Oxford University, which at that time would only admit Anglicans. And he was an Anglican at the time, although more of a, he was more of an evangelical Anglican. He had really bought into uh, the the whole evangelical uh, aspect of, of Christianity um, when he first got to Oxford and moved more to a high church type of perspective uh, by the time he, uh, he left. He, he stayed on at Oxford and became tutor at Oriel College, which at the time was noted for being probably the most uh, high intellectual of, of the colleges within the University of Oxford. He also was ordained an Anglican priest and became the university preacher. And students would just flock to his sermons at St. Mary's uh, on campus. He was not known as the best speaker in terms of technical ability, but what he had to say was just so brilliant and so inspiring. Um, Students would would flock to go hear his, his sermons. Um, It was also during this time that he became part of the Oxford movement, which was an attempt to uh, try to shift the Anglican church away from the precipice of, of fully viewing itself as a Protestant church. You know, we as Catholics would view the Anglicans as part of the Protestant movement, but they viewed themselves as just another branch of the one true Catholic church. They, didn't, they weren't Roman Catholics, they weren't under the Pope, but they saw themselves as Catholic. And Newman uh, very strongly uh, endorsed that view and tried to bring Anglicans back to a more Catholic view of things uh, and a more Catholic approach to things. Of course, what actually happened is that Newman and many of his uh, allies in the Oxford movement ended up uh, crossing the Tiber and becoming Roman Catholic. And so... It was in 1845, so remember he was born in 1801, so he was 44 years old, that Newman decided to become Catholic. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on his conversion, but it was quite an incredible thing. Again, I told you what the situation was like in England, and to become Catholic in those days was quite a big decision. He basically lost not only any uh, credibility he had with, with many English but he actually lost uh, good friends and even some family members who would no longer talk to him. So it was a very, very big decision and choice. 1845, he became Catholic. 1847, uh, after studying in Rome, he was ordained a priest. He went back to England and established the Oratory of St. Philip Neri in England, particularly in Birmingham, England, where he resided for, for most of his life. So that's Newman. Um, He uh, was, again, as I said, an educator all his life. It was in 1854, just seven years after being ordained, that the Irish bishops asked him to come to Ireland and establish a Catholic university. Um, And this, of course, for our purposes, was a great momentous time of his life. Um, It was also a very, very difficult time of his life. He was only there four years. And because the bishops disagreed with a number of his views on Catholic education and how, how he wanted to set up the university, he left after four years. And today the university that he founded is actually called uh, the University College Dublin and it is a state university. So it's very much not what he set out to establish and really not his university in any real respect. However, what this did produce is, uh, in the the months before the university opened, Newman uh, gave several lectures, trying to make the case to the Irish people for a Catholic university. And those lectures are what became his idea of a university. They were compiled later into the book, and uh, that's the idea of a university. And then, of course, his his plans and his writings about the university are what became his university sketches. And, uh, and, and that's the basis of what we'll talk about today. After that failed, he went back to Birmingham, uh, not a very happy person. And uh, it was not long after he got back that Saint, or not Saint, Lord John Acton um, and several other uh, very prominent Catholics in England, asked Newman if he wouldn't establish a secondary school, a boarding school for boys in Birmingham. He agreed to do that. He established, it was called the, uh, the oratory school. And uh, the, the oratory school uh, still exists today, it is uh, an outstanding institution. It's very highly well rec- highly recognized, and was at Newman's time. Um, he really set it on a on a great path, and he spent uh, the rest of his life engaged with the Oratory School. So, as I said, most of his life was actually in secondary education. Uh, just a couple final notes on uh, Newman uh, as Newman as an educator. Um, first of all, most Americans no newman because of his uh, because of the newman centers right the newman societies newman clubs at various non-catholic colleges throughout the united states and actually throughout the world this movement was certainly inspired by newman but in fact newman did not establish them newman's top priority was to establish a catholic university when that failed in ireland Later in his life, he tried to establish an oratory at uh, Oxford University, which had started to allow Catholics to enter the school. And that also failed because the English bishops put a stop to it and didn't want him to establish his, uh, his oratory there. After that happened, toward the end of his life, Uh, The Newman Society was established at Oxford for Catholic students who were attending Oxford, and that was really the first of the Newman Centers, and the others followed in that example. So that's where the Newman Centers came. And then finally, uh, Newman was uh, well known, and deservedly so, as one of the church's greatest theologians. But interestingly, Newman didn't refer to himself as a theologian. He didn't think of himself as one. Uh, because he was using the term with regard to an academic, right? Somebody who sets out and devotes their life to the study of theology and, and intends to write theological works based on their studies. That was not Newman. In fact, Newman was really primarily an educator. And uh, because of his educator's mind and proclivity, he was very concerned about explaining himself, and so he got into a number of controversies with uh, other Catholics and with Anglicans in his lifetime. The Anglicans didn't trust him because he left the Anglican church. The Catholics didn't trust him because he was formerly an Anglican. And so he had a lot of controversies in his life. And most of his uh, theological work was really a, an attempt to explain himself and his own views um, in writing Uh, but he never considers himself a theologian, but he always was an educator. He had the integrity of an educator always devoted to truth, okay? So that is uh, the first part of what I wanted to talk about. Uh, The second part is Newman's idea of knowledge. Okay, what uh, um, he believed that knowledge was the end of education. So what did he understand about knowledge and what was his view of it? Well, Newman was very convinced, and this is now getting into his arguments and idea of a university. Uh, Newman said that all knowledge is united. Okay? He believes strongly in the unity of knowledge because it all comes from God. It's all united in its origin, in its origin from God. And it all points to God. It all leads to God, ultimately. And so all knowledge is united and when we talk about branches of knowledge when we talk about science and history and you know the sciences and the arts and philosophy and right and all of these different things he said that that these were mental constructs right this is going back to aristotle this idea that these are things that we as humans using our reasoning organize knowledge and ought to organize knowledge to try to uh, to break it down and to understand how various parts of knowledge relate to each other. But we should never understand the branches of knowledge as being independent from each other uh, in, a, in an absolute sense, that in fact, all of the branches of knowledge relate to each other and in in very important ways. So he said, quote, In order to have possession of truth at all, we must have the whole truth. And no one science, no two sciences, no one family of science, nay, not even all of secular science is the whole truth. Now here, when he talks about science, he's not just talking about the natural sciences, the empirical sciences. He's talking about science in the broader sense of a study of things. Right. So any kind of philosophy, history, uh, all of these things would be considered a science in 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 the context in which he's talking there. Of the branches of knowledge, if we break knowledge down into various branches, he strongly argued that theology was the highest branch. It was the most important branch. Okay, all of them are, are important. All of them relate to each other. But theology in particular, he said, enters into every other branch. No matter what you study, it goes back to its origins in God. And therefore, theology has a bearing on anything. Mathematics, science, medicine, uh, literature, uh, you know, our understanding of God and of nature and who we are. And, and our dignity in, in finding union with God, all of that is related to every branch of knowledge. He said, quote, Admit a God, and you introduce among the subjects of your knowledge a fact encompassing, enclose, closing in upon, absorbing every other fact conceivable. He went on to say, How can we investigate any part of any order of knowledge and stops short of that which enters into every order all true principles run over with it all phenomena converge to it it is truly the first and the last so he was very much very much understood the importance of theology Um, you would have expected that from a saint and from one of the greatest theologians but as we go forward, you'll see why that's so very important to understand and why a lot of people who read Idea of the University, sadly, miss uh, that, that point and the importance of it. So Newman goes on to say, when any branch of knowledge is absent, okay, if someone is, stops paying attention to it or excludes it from study or from conversation, or in this case, from the university, from education, even secondary elementary education, we exclude religious knowledge or, or any branch of knowledge. The others will encroach upon it. The others will go where they don't belong. And that is why theology needs to defend itself because it's so important and it needs to defend its territory. Okay. So he said, quote, revealed religion furnishes facts to the other sciences which those sciences left to themselves could never reach. And it invalidates apparent facts which left to themselves they would imagine. Okay. So there's a danger in other sciences, you know, without having theology holding its place. Now, the university, okay, or or really education in general, right, embraces all knowledge, okay, His view is that an educational institution that neglects any branch of knowledge in the sense of excluding it, not necessarily that, I mean, you can't possibly study everything and he warns against this, but you must embrace every branch of knowledge because again, it's all unified. And so before the great universities uh, in, in Europe, we had scholarly associations. So you had you know, groups where scholars would come together and try to advance research and understanding of things. You had various institutes. Um, you had the monasteries. You had various schools that were usually focused on one particular branch of knowledge. Uh, many of them, it was theology, but you also had legal institutes. You had medical institutes and such. The genius of the university, the reason why the university came about was to house all branches of knowledge in one place, right? And obviously you can't, again, you can't focus on every little thing, but in those days, uh, in the early times of the universities, they tried to bring together four branches in particular, and that would have been law, theology, medicine, and philosophy. And so that each of those disciplines was uh, in conversation with the other, Right. The scholars of law were talking with theologians and with philosophers and the medical experts were talking to theologians and philosophers and legal experts. It was the idea was to bring it all together. And so that's why you had the rise of the University of Bologna, the University of Oxford, the University of Paris, all around uh, the turn of the the century into the, um, the 12th century. So right around. The uh, 1088 was Bologna, uh, allegedly the first one, and then University of Paris was 1150. So during that period, the great universities came about. They were all ex corde ecclesiae, okay? If you might be familiar with that term, that's the the name that uh, St. John Paul II gave to his 1990 constitution on Catholic universities. And Ex ecclesia Ecclesiae means from the heart of the church. Every single one of the major universities started in this time, in the early times, was either sponsored by the Catholic Church in some way or owned by the church. And so uh, this was very much a Catholic movement into the university. And even the University of Oxford was initially Catholic until Henry VIII um, booted the, the Catholics out. So because of all of this, Newman made a rather strong argument that for some reason, some people read university or idea of a university and, and miss. But his, his whole point in idea of a university is that a Catholic university, one that admits of theology, is the most complete university. Okay, it's not limited by being Catholic. It's complete. It allows all branches of knowledge to converse with each other. And the secular university, secular means that you are excluding something of great importance, of the most importance, from education. And so at the secular university is the prejudiced university. It's the limited university. You're missing something of great importance. So he he wrote A secular university, quote, cannot be what it professes if there be a God. It is very plain that a divine being and a university so circumstanced cannot coexist. Pretty strong words. Now, what about this thing about all knowledge leading to God? You know, so you'll hear sometimes, you know, advocates of a more secular type of classical education or, or uh, a more secular leaning Catholic institution. that will say, look, all studies lead to God. Newman argued this, right? If I study science, it leads me to God. If I study history, it leads me to God. It's all united. It all points in the same direction. So a university that excludes theology isn't really, you know, okay, fine, you may feel that it's missing something, but is it really not a proper university? Newman acknowledged, he said, right reason, that is reason that is rightly exercised, leads the mind to the Catholic faith. And it plants it there and teaches it in all its religious speculations to act under its guidance. Okay, so he did believe that very strongly. But the human is weak. The human mind is weak. Okay? Yes, science ultimately points to God, but the scientist will never get there just through science. Right? History points to God, but the historian will never get there completely through science. You will never come to absolute truth through the use of our reason. We are never capable of even coming very close to it. Right? Aquinas himself came to the end of his life and said, This is all rubbish in the light and the beauty of God, right? So Newman said, the human mind is far from taking so straight and satisfactory a direction to God. We make mistakes. Our reason makes mistakes. Science makes mistakes. Okay. And so this is why um, a university does need theology to hold its own ground. Okay. Part three the idea of education, knowledge is the end of education. It's not just information, it's understanding, right? So he said, quote, when I speak of knowledge, I mean something intellectual, something which grasps what it perceives through the senses, something which takes a view of things, which sees more than the senses convey, which reasons upon what it sees and while it sees. More than data, knowledge is, quote, an acquired illumination, it's a habit, a personal possession and an inward endowment. So for him, knowledge was more than just facts and figures and information. It was understanding all of that. And even beyond that, it was then working with the reason and developing the habits of you know, good intellectual virtue. All of this was wrapped up in his understanding of knowledge. He said that education develops a, quote, philosophical habit of the mind, Okay, this is how he referred to the, you know, the intellectual ability of students. He wants them, quote, to be gradually initiated into the largest and truest philosophical views. And he wants them to feel nothing but impatience and disgust at the random theories and the imposing sophistries and the dashing paradoxes which carry away half-formed and superficial intellects. We certainly see that a lot today, and we always see it in politics, right? It's the nature of politics. Education, he said, teaches liberal knowledge. What did he mean by that? Liberal means freeing, okay? Freeing from ignorance, from servility, from from being slaves to um, our inability to understand. Liberal knowledge illuminates, right? He said that the university, or education in general, is not focused on servile knowledge, by which he means useful knowledge. Okay? It's not focused primarily on a career. It's not focused primarily on training and something. It's not focused primarily on learning how to, to do science or something. It's focused on liberating the mind. And he also argued that even at a Catholic university, it's not focused on religious training. Okay? It's not a seminary. Now, this has been abused to no ex- you know, to a great extent um, in, in saying, well, we're not a seminary, so therefore we don't care about moral formation. I'll get to that, but he certainly didn't believe that. But he said, "Look, you're not preparing people to be ministers of the faith, to be religious, to be priests. Okay? Um, so we give them a general religious knowledge that's appropriate to the layperson, but it's about intellectual development. And finally, it's not a research institute. Um, we're focused on teaching. Okay? So from the preface of the idea of a university, he says, quote, the view taken of a university in these discourses is the following, that it is a place of teaching universal knowledge. This implies that its object is on the one hand intellectual, not moral, and on the other, that it is the diffusion and extension of knowledge rather than the advancement. If its object were scientific and philosophical discovery, I do not see why the university should have students. And if it's religious training, I do not see how it can be the seat of literature and science. Okay. Now, he also warned, he said, look, you know, a lot of Catholics think that Catholic education, in its essence, develops moral virtue, that liberal education develops the moral person. I've also heard this um, you know, from advocates of a more secular type of classical education to say, look, if we study the classics, if we learn to illuminate the mind, we'll become naturally more moral people and closer to God. And he says, no, liberal education forms intellectual virtue, which looks often like moral virtue, but it's not the same. He says liberal knowledge, quote, gives no command over the passion, passions, no influential motives, no vivifying principles. Liberal education makes not the Christian, not the Catholic, but the gentleman. There are dangers of liberal education. And he lays these out in, in, in his idea of university. He says, you know, reason has its own beauty, right? It can be alluring. It, le- it does lead to God, it points to God. And the problem is that academics can become obsessed with the intellectual life and ignore the moral life, ignore moral truth. And this is a real danger Of education he says also there's a danger of specialization right that people become focused and and experts within particular fields but then they develop an exaggerated view of their discipline as if everything needs to be seen through the lens of one particular discipline and he would strongly argue against that and then he said that we also need to realize that the method of reasoning right deductive reasoning going from general truths and applying them to particular circumstances to come to a conclusion, or inductive reasoning where we move from examples and empirical evidence in order to come to those general conclusions or those general principles. That's the method of reasoning and it's very different from the method of religious knowledge. Religious knowledge is based on faith, based on we believe when God tells us that this is true, It's true, and we trust that on faith because we trust God, and we could never come to that truth through reasoning. And so the problem is that very often those who are in the intellectual life can become very distrustful of religious knowledge, and we certainly see that today. He said what happens is that the institution focused on the intellect, the educational institution, can gradually become opposed to the church even an institution that includes Catholic theology. He said, quote, "'Satisfy yourself with what is only visibly "'or intelligibly excellent, as you are likely to do, "'and you will make present utility and natural beauty "'the practical test of truth "'and the sufficient object of the intellect. "'It's not that you will at once reject Catholicism, "'but you will measure and it "'by an earthly standard. "'You will throw its highest "'and most momentous disclosures into the background, You will deny its principles, explain away its doctrines, rearrange its precepts, and make light of its practices even while you profess it. Okay. His conclusion is that education, liberal education, in its essence, can become what he called an insidious and dangerous foe of the church. Why in the world would the church ever sponsor an educational institution if that's the case, right? And so a lot of people seize on these aspects of of idea of university and say, yeah, see, Newman was really just all about the intellect. He didn't want all that religious stuff. Well, going back to the preface, and here's getting to the key point. The university is a place of teaching university knowledge. He says, so it is in its essence and independently of its relation to the church. But practically speaking, it cannot fulfill its object duly, such as I have described it, without the church's assistance. Or to use the theological term, the church is necessary for its integrity. Not that its main characters are changed by this incorporation, it still has the office of intellectual education but the church steadies it in the performance of that office. It's not sufficient to have academic theology. Newman actually believed, and this is brought out in his other writings that are not, it's not so well brought out in Idea of a University. But it's not simply that the church is protecting itself. It's not simply that the church is protecting its own little realm of religion from all these other realms. It's more than that. It's that intellectual activity, in order to be successful, actually depends on the moral life, actually depends on goodness. If any of you are familiar with uh, Father Sertolange, uh, the Dominican priest, he makes this argument very clearly that the moral person is the best academic, because in order to develop the discipline of the intellectual life, in order to... To put reason in its proper perspective, okay, you have to be a good Christian. And when you don't, we've all seen how reason and science and all these things can lead to very strange things because the mind is weak and we make mistakes. And so, yes, we should develop the intellect. Yes, that's the purpose of education, but it must be done together with, with moral formation. Newman gave a great sermon as University Church where he talked about, he said, Students who come to my university, they come to us with their intellect, their conscience, their passion, their appetite, all these different faculties of the human, all, quote, warring in their breast. These things are at, he envisioned these things in battle with each other. The conscience is in battle with the intellect, which is in battle with your bodily desires, right? and each trying, he said, to get possession of the student, right? This is the nature of the human. Um, He said it's not our original state, right? When man was created, all of these things worked in unison and all led us to complete union with God. But because of the fall, everything was fragmented. And so he gives this beautiful description of education. He says, you know, education, yes, it's fundamentally focused on intellectual development, but it has to do that in concert with the other aspects of the human. And he says that the church's goal for education is, quote, to reunite things which were in the beginning joined by God and have been put asunder by man. And what a great way of describing education it's again. So when we talk about integrity, if you look at the church's documents on Catholic education, they talk repeatedly about integral formation. Yes. You know, we develop the intellect through education, but it has to be done in concert with moral formation. It has to be done in concert with physical formation. If, if that's lacking, right. If a young person is unhealthy, then developing the intellect is very difficult, right? If they're immoral, developing the intellect is very difficult. And so it all has to be done in terms of integral formation. Finally, I wanna end with this last point on the renewal of Catholic education. Um, Newman's idea of education is a real challenge to modern education. Um, And when I talk about modern education, I am not talking purely about public schools, okay? I'm not talking purely about secular education. I'm talking about many of our Catholic schools and colleges, okay, that have embraced a modern idea of education. Um, Cardinal has pointed out four modern tendencies that um, would be unacceptable to Newman. Uh, Utilitarianism, the emphasis on career preparation. Fragmentation, the emphasis on all these various disciplines. Um, Rationalism, the emphasis on the intellect over religion. And then secularism, the rejection of religion altogether. Um, I would also add to that empiricism, right? This was the view of John Dewey, who heavily influenced public schools. This idea that all knowledge should be experiential. Um, libertinism, right? This idea that we must focus on a liberty that's, that's divorced from truth instead of a freedom to choose truth that leads us to truth. And then ideology, Right? In a sense, I think we've moved beyond rationalism to an idea of ideology, um, neglecting both faith and reason. And so there's this great renewal now happening in Catholic education. We're seeing in the Newman Guide Colleges, in uh, a number of schools, in a number of dioceses, where um, they're renewing their emphasis on fidelity, on Catholic identity. What we need. In addition to that is a renewal of focus on training the mind. And this is what's coming to us through this classical movement. And as that develops, um, you know, we're, we're, I think we're really seeing a real renaissance of education today. I'm going to stop there because I've, I've gone uh, pretty long. I had a number of other good quotes to share with you, but uh, I don't know if there's any time for, for questions, but I wanted to, uh, to end with that. So thank you and, and God bless you all.
2: All right. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Riley. That was really a wonderful presentation. Very enlightening. So yeah, if you are able to stay, we'd love to have some time for some Q&A. Yes, it looks like uh, Mr. Latona, you can go ahead and unmute
1: yourself. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Riley, thanks for sharing your time with us and uh, edifying us on Newman. Uh, I have a question. Since the Irish bishops went looking for Saint John Henry Newman. What was the source of the conflict which prompted him to leave just four short years later? Oh, uh, good question. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. It, and it's, it's actually very complex. Um, you know, so Ireland was a, a largely agrarian and um, industrial society. Um, the, at the time when Newman was asked to go over there, uh, Catholics were not admitted into Oxford University. And what it meant is that they were not admitted into the professional life, into the public life, uh, you know, in terms of being politicians, being doctors, lawyers, uh, a number of things. It was very difficult for a doctor or for a Catholic to, to rise into those professions or, or that status, I suppose. Um, And so one of the motivations for the university was you know, we want Catholics to, to have access to this and to have a university that will help move them in that direction. But there was also a real distrust of a, a university that from Newman's perspective was focused on intellectual development and not being so career uh, focused. And so that was a lot of the basis. There was also a lot of disagreement about the role of the, the bishops and theology within the program should a catholic university since it's catholic should it really be primarily focused on theological training and and newman said said no theology has its very important place in the institution but everyone going there is not preparing right for um for religious life and so there were a number of these conflicts and uh and in the end he was just just frustrated there were also financial troubles uh there was a real question about whether uh, the Irish people were really that excited about a university in the first place? So it was very complex.
2: All right, we have a question coming in here from Robert. He is uh, asking. He says one of your quotes from Newman seemed to say that the training of scientists doesn't qualify as knowledge. Did he understand that correctly?
1: Um, no, I, I think I think what the question is getting at is that um, you know focusing on skills and information is not knowledge and and what Newman would say is 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 of course you need the material to work upon and of course there's always the the purpose of the educational institution is to develop the intellect but that doesn't mean that there aren't useful benefits to an education and that um that you know when you go to institution does it lead to a career of course but it's not the primary purpose of the institution. and so therefore, um, what his concern was is if you go to a career oriented institution or into a career oriented study, and all you're doing is becoming a really good electrician or a really good scientist or a real, even a really good you know doctor or lawyer. and it's all about the profession and it's all about the mechanics and the skills of that profession, then you are missing something very important from education because your study of those topics should be developing your intellect, should be developing your ability to, uh, he used the term ascend. He wanted you to rise above the information, to be able to categorize it, to relate it to other things. And if you can't do that, then you're simply, you know, you're basically becoming a very useful cog in a wheel instead of, uh, you know the the educated gentleman that he wanted out of education thank
2: you. Um, let me follow up on that uh, that answer with this question from Stephanie. Stephanie is writing in she says that she's a graduate of a very strong uh, Catholic liberal arts college and was completely convinced that education should not be for career training but for its own sake. Uh, that said, she says, "I see myself and so many of my friends struggle to find a career." So how do we bridge this gap between liberal arts education and the reality of needing to earn a living in the current climate that we live in?
1: Yeah, well, um, so again, um, you know, Newman would say in its essence, this is what an education is, but it doesn't mean that there aren't other ends to it and so, uh, or other other benefits to it. And so, um, you know, obviously you have to tend to the things of, of the world as part of necessity. Um, and so in getting an education, you do have to be concerned about making sure that you do have whatever skills are necessary um, and knowledge that's necessary to enter into, you know, a particular career, if that's your vocation or into the religious life. But his concern was, was because of the neglect of that. And so um, what we're seeing um, is that today, if you read Forbes magazine, Fortune magazine, you know these big business magazines, we're seeing article after article by business leaders who are saying that they are desperate for young people who know more than just how to program, that they actually know how to solve problems, that they have a bigger idea of things. And this is what Newman was saying is, is the most important thing that an education provides is, is to have that. And um, the, we've also seen studies that show that those who have more of a liberal arts education tend to have a little bit more difficulty, especially in today's technology-driven age of of getting those first jobs, of getting started. But it's also those people who rise to the level of manager. It's those people who end up getting the higher paying jobs further down in their career because they are the people who can solve problems and, and and can write and communicate and, and are valuable to their employers.
2: Yeah, thank you so much. I think one of our video participants, Ryan, has a question. Ryan, you can go ahead and unmute yourself.
1: Thank you, Mr. O'Reilly, that was a wonderful presentation. I really you. appreciate you uh, sharing you know, your wealth of information about uh, St. Newman with us. One question that kind of uh, gets, I, I love uh, the idea of a university. One question gets stuck in my mind and I run around and I'd, I'd love to know your thoughts on it. Are, in in light of some of the challenges that you had mentioned Newman recognized could happen. So, you know, uh, Catholic universities sort of being the perfect place for education to be uh, really well done and the perfect place for it to go awry. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you see any themes in Catholic universities in general where it is going awry, or maybe it's not yet, or maybe it, it has been, or any of the any of those sort of predictive models that Newman has mentioned do you see any of that in the in the Catholic college? I mean not the secular ones, the Catholic ones specifically uh, I don't know if there's much distinction for some of them um, <laughs> between Catholic and secular so yes, absolutely and this is really the the what initiated the founding of the Newman Society. We work with all levels of Catholic education now, but you know our our initial concern was with the the, the the failures of much of Catholic higher education today. And the fact is that much of Catholic higher education, basically what it does is it, it brings in that distinction that Newman talks about. It has Catholic theology, right? And so it says, look, we're willing to talk about Catholic things, whereas you're not. So we're different from the secular institution. Um, two problems with that. Number one, I would argue that the, most of the theology that's done today in many Catholic universities is not doing a very good job of defending its own space, right? It's actually going in all these weird directions and not really defending the faith in the way that Catholic theology ought to be doing. But secondly, you know, as Newman says, that's not enough. And so you, uh, many of our Catholic universities are enamored with this intellectual life and have embraced this, radical notion of academic freedom that says no matter what you teach, no matter what's your expertise, you can talk about whatever you want. So I went to one of these Catholic universities that was clearly far afield from where, where it initially was. And you know, I had a literature professor who would come in and use her time to talk about her views on abortion, which were not in line with the church. And Academic freedom should never allow that. In fact, the very nature of academic freedom, as as Saint John Henry, Saint John Paul II defined it, is it's the freedom to within your area of expertise to pursue um, knowledge according to the methods of your particular discipline without other disciplines interfering. But that also means that you don't interfere and and dive into and encroach upon other disciplines and start making theological and ethical pronouncements that are not part of your expertise. And unfortunately, we do see this in a number of Catholic universities today.
2: Great, thank you so much. Um, We have a couple people writing in on this um, topic, so I'm gonna try to synthesize it here, but they are um, wondering if you could speak on how Newman saw the relationship between secondary school and higher education. Um, particularly in light of the attitude currently that secondary school, at least in the, U- in the United States, is treated kind of like a college prep program.
1: It's, it's frustrating. I have tried very hard to get to, uh, and I know others have as well, to really get to his idea of secondary education. And he just simply didn't write a lot about it, even though most of his life was focused on it. Um, but it seems rather apparent given how he did it, that his view of secondary education wasn't all that different from his view of higher education. And so um, he structured his oratory school very similar to the way that he was structuring the the college in the sense of you you have your classes, you have teachers that basically lecture to you on particular topics. And then you also have houses in which you live, similar to the colleges at at the university Um, where you have a tutor and you have someone who works with you not only on your coursework, but also developing you morally, um, making sure that you have a strong sacramental life, strong prayer life. All of this was very much a part of what he did at the oratory school. Um, The other thing to remember when we look at idea of university is that he's talking about, you know, these were about 16-year-old boys who at the time were coming to his university. So these really were, you know, high school students, right? So uh, when he when he what he says about the university, you can certainly apply very much of it to secondary education. Um, I don't think he would have seen a great difference, except just in the level of, you know, what you're capable of doing. And he argued um, in 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 a few of his writings that from the earliest ages. There should be a real emphasis on the, on the subjects that help you to train your mind. So mathematics, um, uh, you know, even getting into philosophy, getting into high school, logic, um, grammar, these things that help you to organize knowledge and, and see how it relates to other things. And of course, the, you know, the natural sciences as well trying to train the mind to be able to do that no matter what subject matter they deal with
2: great thank you let's conclude with this one question coming in from Paul and he's wondering if you can mention um, what if anything Newman had to say about homeschooling
1: um nothing that I know of you know in 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 those days you know well I mean in English society in general the institution is pretty pretty highly valued right so Um, I don't know if he would have been favorable or not to it. Um, I will say that I think he would have, under the current circumstances, been pretty happy with um, the shape of homeschooling and the homeschooling movement, particularly the Catholic homeschooling movement, and particularly the Catholic classical homeschooling movement, and the way, the direction that it's going. I mean, it's providing the type of education that he would have liked And of course, we live in an age where um, the institution isn't as necessary, right, to be able to access um, the materials and the logic, or the materials and the experience and the things that you want to bring into the education. You can do that from home. So I think that he would have been favorable to it under our current circumstances. Um, And he certainly uh, would have agreed with many of the homeschooling criticisms of much of, of Catholic education, much of modern education today. And so, um, you know, in that sense, you know, I think I think he would have been something of an ally.
2: Great. Well, thank you again, Mr. Riley. It's really been a pleasure to thank have you with me. us this evening. And thank you for the work that you do with the Cardinal Newman
0: Society.
1: Thank you. God bless you. I appreciate that.
0: We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Institute of Catholic Culture.